0: Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Ellen O'Leary is an artist and educator based out of Pennsylvania in Bushwick in Brooklyn. She was my teacher and we've known each other for a long time. It was nice to catch up with her, dig deep into her past and have a long discussion about her career and her vision as an artist and her history. Here's our talk. Where did it all begin for you, and how did it all start? So where were you born, and where did you grow up?
1: That's easy. Um, um, I grew up in Wexford, which is south of Dublin. Um, it's in Ireland. And I grew up on a farm, and it was really utopian. Um, my father made boats and made sails, and it was one of these kind of pre-industrial places. Mm-hmm. Um was on the sea he made lobster pots he taught me how to knit and my mother made butter and the usual the usual things like raised chickens and pigs and it was four girls I was a bit of a disappointment I was the fourth girl and um, <laughs> <laughs> I know I was I was told I was um, and it was it was this kind of utopian world where the house was whitewashed every year and it was thatched and and we belonged there was a sense of history to the place there was mm-hmm. a sense of um, belonging there and there was a sense that it it had always been like that and it would always be like that, and um, it was the sixties. But you wouldn't not the sixties that you had in America it right, was right. the Irish sixties, which was like the eighteen sixties. And um, yeah, I can remember getting an indoor toilet, which was everybody came down big to news. look at it. It yeah, was yeah. big news, big news, <laughs> and it was everybody came down to say it was unhygienic and it wouldn't last. And there was a series of of events that really changed our lives. It was, um, one was a tornado, which was very rare. And it was the first time we ever saw ourselves as other people saw us. Um, the place was just blown away. The farm was blown away. Mm -hmm. The, The full surrounding farm was put into the sea, which was kind of a funny dislocation. And, um, the news came down, it was so rare. And we saw ourselves on television. I remember oh, yeah. seeing ourselves small in black and white in somebody else's television because we didn't have one. And there was something about that image of us all kind of cluttered together and holding each other in small and small and in this dark wind. And um, it was the first time I saw us as poor, maybe, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were farmed out to relatives and that place was rebuilt with modern asbestos and tiles and plastics. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, the old was really swept away. And then a couple of years later, it was hit by lightning. The um, the thatch, there was a thatch on the main house and it was it was burnt down. And after that, um, my father got sick and he died. So we were left totally bankrupt, totally bankrupt. And we farmed, the, the my sisters and I, we just farmed the place. And um, we'd never really worked like that before. We'd never had to. We never had to work. And there was a real sense of survival. There was a real sense of us at odds with the people who wanted us to leave and sell the land to real people who could farm it, like Mm -hmm. men. It was it was male and female. It was the first time I I knew we were all female too, you know, um, and poor. And to art and pragmatism became a huge part of my childhood I was 11 so I was very young and to we had to milk all these cows and they were all the same they were all black and white and pattern recognition is something that I, I learned I'm not great at as a older person I'm, I'm face blind so pattern recognition is hard for me so to identify the cows I'd chalk them I'd chalk them with blue chalk mm-hmm. and eventually they all became bright blue <laughs> they all <laughs> became the, the same color and to to um, amuse myself and to get to know them, um, I'd paint their portraits with um, tar and the cowhouse, mm-hmm. and it was kind of gorgeous. When yeah. I look back at it, it was like a big pink painting. Um, so that idea of leisure and work at the same time, it, I could justify it. I was getting to know, I was getting to know each cow, um, but I was also making these huge paintings that were ten foot tall. So and, um, that was
0: like your that was your first art, really. That was
1: the first art, you know, but it was
0: real, purposeful. Like it had, it had I didn't realize that your beginnings had this very specific. It was
1: about demarcation. Connection. It was about being very pragmatic, very pragmatic, and and very beautiful. I can remember the cows looking blue in the fields. You know, there were yeah. just just like this hazy horizon, and to do anything to do with the arts, like we we read when we were following cattle. I can remember reading Shakespeare for school. And we'd be following cattle would be behind cows and the books would be all cow-dunged and fingered and mm-hmm. <laughs> um we were definitely odd at school, you know. It was definitely um our poverty was was um was evident, you know. Yeah. Um and it was it was also we were slightly feral because of it. You know, we did we didn't know the boundaries or the constraints of the culture because of it. We were um we were free of them, really. We were yeah. very free of it, and it was, it was like playing, playing forts, <laughs> mm-hmm. except it was real. It yeah. was, and then we started taking in tourists. We had always had a couple of tourists. We're always anthropologists around, mm-hmm. documenting a disappearing Ireland. In my father's time, you know, his mm-hmm. his boats and his um, way of life, which was, was, archaic, I suppose. And so we started taking in tourists for real, and it was the hippies in the late 60s and 70s that would come over with their guitars and their um, music
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and their bell bottoms. And and, and um, I remember just hearing Janis Joplin for the first time when I was 14 or 15 and just wanting to be her, you know?
0: Was that the first time you felt kind of connected? Because weren't you... It seems like you are pretty isolated before We
1: were then. very isolated. We were down a lane, and we were, at, I suppose, not... At odds with the community, you know, because they wanted us to sell. It was a reasonable thing for them to say my mother couldn't manage. Mm-hmm. And to her it was unreasonable because the land was so important to her. Yeah. So we were we were totally isolated. And, and foreigners were more welcome in our kitchen maybe than locals.
0: Yeah. So how did you go from that to, you know... It's a big stretch, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, to today. But just in the fact that you now you're starting to bring people in and seeing... And if they're hippie or if it's like a sixties vibe, it's a whole different kind of sensibility, right?
1: Oh, it was wild. There was um. I can remember just, in retrospect, it was like a party. You know, there was, a nuclear power plant was proposed on our shore, very close to our farm, and the locals did, we didn't we didn't even know what it was, so we didn't have many opinions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Other people had opinions about it. Like there's a lot of Germans and a lot of American young people who'd protest. And they'd put up tents on the Strand. And um, I remember going down, looking at the tents and people were having sex and people were naked. and People were <laughs> topless. And it was wild. I remember just, just coming home and my mother would, there, go, don't go down to that Strand. And the priest going on about it. And to me, the world had opened and it could never be closed again, you know. Yeah. And so they did change it. They did change it. It didn't go down there. You know, the, they changed the plans
0: yeah well, how was your school like what happened with your path with going to school and when did you know being creative enter that equation as as far as like school and
1: we barely went to school uh, No, that's not true i i did, there was I was in a convent and we went to school, but the farm took over most of the work. We wrote our own notes when we cows were calving or we were needed um mm-hmm. it was it was it was a third world really you know
0: yeah. And how long, like, how long were you there?
1: Five years in the convent, and um, I painted all the time. I'd become good at it, and the tourists bought them, so it was money. Yeah. I liked horses, so I'd sell paintings for horses. Mm-hmm. And I painted on stones. I painted um, little souvenirs. So the idea of the souvenir was was something that you could make money at. My mother knit socks for money, you know, and I painted mm-hmm. stones for money, and this idea that, which i th- I went back to as, a, as an artist um that you'd um keep the land at any cost and you could sell all these things out you could sell paintings but you'd still have the view mm-hmm. I painted realistic things I wanted yeah. to be Turner back then you know right. I'd, I'd seen a replica of Turner in the priest's house and I mm-hmm. thought it was the most beautiful thing in the world yeah and I got a book in the library from about him and i I co- I copied them you know I just just yeah. and I sold them They were very sellable
0: so people in I've they one left. They love those images, they them, I'm sure. I yeah. sold
1: them for like £10 or something, <laughs> or £5 or something like that. And I sold them hand over fist, because every tourist wanted... They were like postcards. In the 90s, when I started making little fragments of pieces, when I just started taking everything apart, and it was this idea that the, the work would be sold as fragment, but I'd own the big piece. Mm-hmm. And the big piece was the land for me, you know. The big piece was the idea. yeah. And I did, you know, I I do think about it a lot now. I think about how I, I remake stuff when I sell it because I want to have it. You know, yeah. if I sell a piece that I like, I'll remake it so it's it's still mine. How right. um, oh, you do that? I do <laughs> that. I do that. Uh, if there's a particular, I'll try to remake it. Um, and but that idea that the big installation is the real work,
0: right? And then there's the modular. There's pieces that can be taken away yeah. from that, but it's really the event of the right the big thing because
1: I, I literally would pick the stones up off or, or all our all our um we were on the strand we were on the sea and all the yards were cobbled so they were made of little modular stones mm-hmm. and um i would just paint on stones and sell them yeah when you think of it you know
0: yeah um well when you were growing up when you were really young was music a part of your life or was it introduced by the hippies? It was
1: introduced by the hippies. I remember hearing Leonard Cohen and Janis Joplin and I heard them when I was about 15 or 16. And mm-hmm. I just wanted more. Yeah. It was the same time I, I picked up Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. And um, all three of them are the same language. Right. They opened a door.
0: Yeah. And then it just... And they're still in no the same bold. little
1: group in my head. They're still, you know, it's Dostoevsky. It's still in... in, in um, Co- Leonard Cohen and, and Janice
0: Joplin. The foundations. You know, I was talking about that with someone else about how these early moments in your life, or mm-hmm. when you're younger, there's certain, whether it's music or you go to a gallery or a museum, and there's certain things you see that kind of etch into your mind and they become important to you for the rest of your life, right. and you always go back to that. Like Bruegel. Yeah. Is he well, he's that He's a big for fellow you?
1: for me, because um, when I was 13 or 14, I entered a competition that we have in Ireland by Texaco, by the oil company. Mm-hmm. And they give kids out like little prizes. There's the big prize, which is probably money. And then there's the runners up. And I got the runner up. Mm-hmm. I got this little book, paper cover of Bruegel. Oh, it's Bruegel. And it's a paperback. Yeah. That was one <laughs> of the prizes. <laughs> and I still have it. I still have it. And it's all kind of... Um, I, I, I have my name. I, I could see my childish writing where I put my name so proudly into it because we didn't really have books. And... Um, Actually, it's the first book I remember owning. Yeah. That's so mad to think about. But it it is. And I still have it. It has a huge effect on it. And it it was all about peasants. And I went, Jesus, somebody painted peasants that painted us. You know, that's Mm us. And I've dragged that book around the world with me. It's, I still have it.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I feel like it's just like in your childhood, you kind of grow up, I mean, you're born into your family, you're born into, and you grow up around the stimulus and, like, what's happening around you, but it has this huge effect. Sometimes you don't realize it until later on, sometimes you never really recognize it, but I feel like you always are a product of what what you came from and and what you saw when you were young, and it, it really, you can... You can push that in your work mm-hmm. in, in your creative life, but it always has some sort of connection to it. I think. I
1: think it took me years to even want to go back to it. You know, I just I, I felt I escaped art school when I was eighteen, nineteen, and it took me twenty some years to, to even want to revisit it. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. For me, um, thinking about music too, when I grew up, my dad listened to a lot of Motown. Mm-hmm and i don't really listen to a lot of motown these days i do here and there but when i hear it i have such a direct feeling of experience with it and i find that a lot of the music that i listen to has this connecting thread that, that comes back to it you know what i mean so now i feel very comfortable in with certain aspects of things that i see that relate to growing up it's like i don't really like gray gray climate you know but i feel kind of comfortable in it <laughs> just in Pittsburgh it's that's what it's like it's it's gray a lot you know, you
1: know when I go back to Ireland I'm comfortable I, every part of me is comfortable because everything is familiar
0: so what's it like living outside well I guess Pennsylvania may not be too different
1: you know I never felt I lived anywhere um and it's funny because I've lived here for 20 how old is he for 24 <laughs> years and it's this immigrant mentality where home is always home. You mm-hmm. know, I, you know, I yeah. talk to another Irish person and we'll talk about going home and then we'll laugh at ourselves because it's so ridiculous, you know? Um, yeah. but I always felt like I was a world citizen. I, I, I lived everywhere. I, New York was the place I felt the most at home because I never felt like I was an anomaly or, or, um, I never felt like an outsider. I yeah. felt like I was just another foreigner in a, a city of foreigners. Um, but home is there like a, a good down deposit in a bank. You know, I, I know I can always go back to it.
0: Yeah. Well, what about Chicago? Because that was big for you, wasn't it? That was
1: big for me. Um, yeah, it was big for me. <laughs> it was. But I, I, it never felt like home either, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, no, I just mean in the sense of how did what affected having um, lived in Chicago and going to school there have on your work and your sensibility as an artist?
1: Chicago was the first time I knew that women could be professors you know or artists mm-hmm. and that was deeply profound yeah deeply profound and to have the museum there I, I felt like I it was a great place to go to school I was very lucky um I'd go in there I'd sneak a sandwich in, and I'd sit in front of a painting that I fall in love with I just just fall in love with paintings and I'd Go to eat. Go to them like like religious objects yeah. almost. And I'd visit the same painting again, again, again. Then I'd move on. Um, I think I got my wheels as a human being there. You know, I, I started having some self respect as an artist. And um, it was a small place. It wasn't New York. I mightn't mm-hmm. have thrived in New York at the time. It was a small, handy sized city with a real gritty undertone. I I love the images You know, I. I I appreciate them more and more and more as I get older. I was lucky to study with Ray Ishida, mm-hmm. whose work I, I still love, you know. And um, I, I met odd and great people. Yeah. Which was good for me. I needed eccentric people. I needed I needed wild cards, and, and it was full of personalities.
0: Yeah. How long did you live there?
1: A long time. Um No, it wasn't that long, really. Six years.
0: Yeah. Well, it's longer than... The normal school, right? you know.
1: I did undergraduate and graduate there.
0: Oh, okay. So you, was I didn't know ond- that. Or yeah. I forgot that.
1: <laughs> I, well, I went to undergraduate in Dublin and I transferred for three months. And I just didn't want to go back.
0: Yeah. So it was, what was, what was it like going to grad school in the same place you went to undergrad at? Was it just more time, basically? It was more time. It was yeah. like
1: a long, t- well, I had a good bartending job. And that was important for money.
0: Do you remember where that was? I
1: do remember where that was. It was <laughs> Butch Maguire's. <laughs> and he was really good to me. I, I mean, I was obviously hard because I was Irish, you know. Yeah. And um, I'd never bartended in my life. And it showed. But I, I became good at it. And um, you don't need...
0: And a, an Irish person in a bar is really a fish out of water, it's right? A fish out of
1: water. <laughs> and it was, I was a natural at it, you know. I, I, I made a lot of money.
0: And you so meet a lot of people, I right? Because I know a lot of musicians who... You know, when I when I graduated from high, or from, uh, yeah, from high school, a lot of my friends who went to Chicago and became musicians, you know, they were musicians who do really well as far as, you know, they're, they're independent musicians, but they do really well, but they would bartend. That's where they... That was great money. ...made money. And, uh, and, then, and you get to meet a lot of other musicians, you're making connections and kind of... I met Shane McGowan, who was oh, really? my hero. I yeah. met him,
1: he came in, and the bouncer tried to throw him out because he thought he was, you know, a ne'er-do-well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I jumped over the bar. I was so excited <laughs> when I saw him. <laughs> and um fed him buckets and margaritas. It was... He's he such a hero of mine, you know? Yeah.
0: That's an amazing thing, First, when someone like that walks in the door. You're not expecting it.
1: You know, he gave me back Ireland, which was a funny thing to um, say. It was kind of through him that I re-looked at Ireland mm-hmm. and re-looked at the kind of lyricism of... Of what had been lost or what was possible and um, you know it was part of the 80s it was part of relooking at at, um, more marginalized cultures Mm -hmm. or things that might have been overlooked or rethinking rethinking um, about what you grew up with Mm -hmm. so he was always a hero, Jesus he was a big hero and to see him getting drunk on my margaritas (laughs) (laughs) was fantastic
0: I'm interested too in because you have such a specific connection to where you're from, you know, as far as like culture and that identity. Uh, is, is that something that's just so ingrained? Do you think it's heightened by the fact that you're living outside of your, your homeland? Or, or, and what does it mean as far as, you know, expression for you as far as, you know, your connection to your work, or is it part of that? Or I'm always interested in how culture relates to, you know, people's work.
1: You know, I don't know. I remember looking at the mailboat because we were on the grew up at the sea, and I'd see the mailboat leaving every day, twice a day, and I'd look at sky trails over the house, and I'd, I'd just think about leaving. You know, I just think about mm-hmm. all these people who seem to have normal lives and who are wealthier and us coming in and out. So when you grow up on an island, it's an island. You think about leaving a lot. You know, you yeah. think about moving, and there's this intense pull of the place when you leave it does there's, there's this familiarity it's like you go back to Pittsburgh it's the accent it's the rhythm it's everything you feel at home it's it's mm-hmm. the comfort of home um you know I, I insisted on buying a house there in the 90s and I still have it um I keep it there I keep the house I know it's there it's like a little it's, it's an image on my computer that I pull up every now and again I barely go mm-hmm. to it because I'm I'm always running around but I know it's there um the language, the literature, I love it. I read it, and I'll read it out loud sometimes just to hear the pace of it. The pace yeah. is different. But I've lived outside of the place for so long that I, um, and I travelled so much. You know, in my thirties, I, I I was obsessed with India. I'd go to India a lot to kind of see Ireland from a distance and Africa and um, the reservations here. I'd, I'd go to the reservations. I was interested in a post-colonial situation. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to find myself, as much as the hippies were who, who landed right, and right. camped on our land. Um, I I feel as American as much as I do Irish. Um. But Irish literature is something I go back to. That's that's the rock that I kind of like to sit on. Really, um, Irish poetry is very important to me. The sense of trauma. That's in that culture is very important to me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's handed down and handed down in, in from heart to heart to generation, which manifests itself in the literature and the arts um, that interests me.
0: All right. Well, that's so connecting that idea with you know the way that you make work. What is is your artwork? Do you feel like it's you know what I know mean? do you feel like that's in there or is it just uh, under the surface?
1: I don't know. I know it's...
0: Abstractions in there. Obviously. Abstractions
1: in there. Um, you know, I came here and I was obsessed with Faulkner and Jackson Pollock, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Why that, though? Why did... Wh- what was it about abstraction that spoke to you? Because you started... You had an I early s- knowledge of representation and how it could sell. <laughs> and now in <it, laughs> your landscape, I'm sure the landscape where you grew up was in, uh, you know, visually must have really had a a burning effect on your mind?
1: You know, I think, I think, um, I talk about the farm work as something that really influenced me and the abstraction that surrounded me, like, you know, the troughs that were dug out of granite or the road that my father dug, the line, or the, um, I remember, you'd have to, when you have that many cows, we, we started with 60 cows, Phil and myself, she was a year, she was 12, I was 11, and sweeping after them. There's an awful lot of <laughs> cow dung, you know, there's yeah, an yeah. awful lot of filth, not filth, but cow dung, and, I remember sweeping the yards with, the, with a sweeping brush and a hose and hosing it down and putting the J's fluid in it and um, looking at the colours. When you throw disinfectant on the yard, it becomes kind of petrol colours. And I remember just loving it. And I'd make designs with the yard brush mm-hmm. while sweeping the yard. Um, yeah. And that kind of... Or my father, when he'd make sails, um, one of my early memories is going up on the corn loft and seeing him sewing sails because he loved building boats and... and and making the sales and I remember there was swallows up there so there was always um bird dirt everywhere you know Mm -hmm. and there was corn everywhere and I remember just all the bird shit and the corn and and the beauty of the white on the white canvas and his annoyance at it and to me later I thought of Pollock you know when I thought of that kind of um scatological language Mm -hmm. um so I think that that was an influence that I didn't even know could be art I didn't know that that um I remember the contentment of looking at the art after I'd brushed it and, and the patterns in it and I'd, I'd always have these zigzag patterns and my mother would growl at us for being idle or do not doing it fast enough and mm-hmm. um, I think it was an influence, you know, it was definitely an influence and I remember when I moved to Chicago and I w- I'd always worked painting from objects, I'd, I'd have a still life and when I removed them and there was dust around them and there'd be the, the marks, you know, the the, the the marks from the objects, it, it had power for me of um, my own removal, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was interested in documenting that. Yeah. I remember the journey. It, I don't know if it makes sense, but I do remember looking at the objects and when they were gone, being interested in removal as subject matter.
0: Right. Well, it's interesting because the earliest work that I know of yours, which were paintings on canvas, yeah. and had that relationship to that mark-making and the ghost image or the, the, you know, what was left behind and using that as a mark. But on the traditional, you know, right. on canvas. And now that that seems like it's broken into you're using material around you or things that you find or, you know, scraps and bits and and what's around you to make work. It kind of gets back to that original way of making that you were doing when you were really young of taking you know, drawing into the dirt, or drawing, or using what's around you, because at that point in your life, you were probably not thinking about stretching canvases, and making fine art that you hang on a wall, but, you know, you're, you're basically drawing in what's around you, and you've come full circle, I Yeah, imagine. I was just
1: using stones, or, we had, we had electricity when I grew up, um, before anybody, because my father built these windmills out of rubbish from the strand, not rubbish, but bits of trees, and bits of this, and bits mm. of that, and bits of planks, and, you know, the, a car door, and, um, yeah. you know, he just scrapped it together and we had windmills and we, I remember looking at that line coming from the windmill into the house mm-hmm. where we would switch on a light and I, I remember the magic of it, you know, just absolute magic from from just going down with the horses to the strand and pulling all these things back and, and his invention.
0: was Was his name Tim Hawkinson? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Can't I you can you picture? I, I that?
1: absolutely can. You know, he 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 came up with these amazing inventions of um, saving time. Like we had a potato sorter that was made out of bits and bobs and what have you, and it would shake, and the potatoes would go down to three different funnels and <laughs> different sizes. <laughs> and the magic of it, you know, the yeah. absolute magic, and the, and the tragedy when he died so young, um,
0: yeah.
1: and and the loss of that, the the, the absolute. Loss of being left that young in a very cold place, um, yeah. without invention and without magic, um,
0: and the reality just slamming down on you, right? Because then you guys had to we pick had up an, the slack and, and we
1: had we had to become adults very quickly. And mm-hmm. I can remember my mother would share with us that the banks were closing in on us, and we had an auction to get sell everything off all his inventions. And in fact, that is my one. First image of abstraction, where everything was named, everything was labelled like auctions do, where mm-hmm. you have little labels, you know, and um, numbered, like the china from their wedding and everything, all his, all that the, the harness for the horses and um, all the and the cattle and everybody came down. It was a public auction, a bankruptcy option, Auction, and what was left afterwards were the pieces of paper, the, the descriptions, mm-hmm. the numbers on the cement of the yards. And I remember going down, as I must have been 11 or 12, and just looking at everything we had owned had become abstraction.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, it was from early on. It was a very on. potent image. It's still in
1: yeah. my head, you know?
0: Yeah. And when you, I know you're very interested and engaged with literature and poetry. Are you, do you shade on the abstract side of, with that as well?
1: No. I love I love storytelling. You know I love I love when a poem tells me a great story. You know, um, Seamus Heaney was my first love, which is I'm almost ashamed to say that as an Irish person. Mm-hmm. It's like um, everybody loves Seamus Heaney. You know, Beckett, Seamus Heaney, James Joyce. That's mm-hmm. our Trinity. Right. Um, but I remember when he when I read his poems first, there were about a world that I had known. There were a world that was central to me. It was a world of of looking at growing up on a farm and telling great stories through it mm-hmm. um they're not abstract at all you
0: yeah. know well in relation to your work what do you or who do you feel a kinship with sensibility wise or not necessarily just the look of it or the way that they're making things but artists that you feel like you're in a dialogue with
1: dead or alive <laughs> both jack <laughs> Giac- Giacometti. yeah um I remember revisiting him again when I was in Paris and there was a rawness to him I, I had overlooked, you know. There mm-hmm. was yeah. there was a sense that those things just made themselves, you know, um, through touching um Louise Bourgeois. Um who else now? Um looking at Late Titian lately, you know, mm-hmm. just looking at the fingerprints in the paint, you know, just the rawness of it. Um Seytouamly, of course, you know. Yeah. He's the god. Yeah. He's the god. Um, Bruegel. You know, I feel I feel a great affinity for the non-hierarchical kind of sense in his
0: work. You know. Yeah. Um, and there's so much going on. I mean, you're even in your studio and your work. There's a lot going
1: on. There's a lot going on. There's. It's all chaos, and I I I will have a piece kind of cannibalize itself four or five times before i'm happy with it you mm-hmm. know i continue breaking them down and this idea of something just just being plowed back into itself is important to me like a um i love when i don't know what i'm doing i i when i make something and i think i know what i'm doing i'll inevitably break it up again
0: yeah. which is it's kind of perfect because when i think of you i kind of think of you as walking through life with a tornado around you <laughs> tornadoes are important to me <laughs> the but tornado I mean? changed
1: my life I think I think of the tornado I think of that idea of a tornado and I think of my studio as a tornado and I think yeah. of how it just lifted our house out to sea and it changed our reality you know displacement
0: uh, there's uh, kinetic energy you know yeah. there's um it's dynamic it's a an event it's um fast moving it's not static you know right. it's um it reorganized things or is constantly is putting things in in different places you know right it's I don't know it's a and it's a phenomenon like it's something that's not of the norm which I think they're very intriguing I can remember being in the
1: tornado I can remember where I was I can remember I can remember wh- what the light did how the house moved how the dust came out of the thatch and I can remember my father running up and grabbing us I was in a crib um which um I was in the crib because there was no bed <laughs> so I was a bit old to be in a crib but I was still in the crib and I couldn't get out of it because I was so terrified and um I remember the dust I remember getting onto the kitchen table all of us and my mother thinking it was the end of the world and it was mm-hmm. you know yeah so I I, I love chaos I, my studio is chaos it's it's and I'm never happy with something till I've broken it three or four or five times you know
0: yeah well and it seems like you know, for you, like, having options and, and sort of reaching, maybe not always overthinking your materials, and being kind of improvisational, in a mm-hmm. sense, to working with the things that are around you?
1: Uh, John Cage, he was big to me. You know, he was big for me. Yeah. Um, I remember meeting him. Just seeing him, I was too really shy to say anything to him, but I remember looking at him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you like Tony Conrad? You know, he recently passed... Do you know Kony, Tony? No, I don't. You should.
1: I should. I'll check go Google him Yeah, yeah. i
0: driving. Well, what about? Um, I mean, for me, I was when I was in school, I was a jazz DJ, and jazz has been something that I've oh. always loved to study and really interested in. And you know, when I think of you know Jackson Pollock, I think of Ornette Coleman, and that's kind of like yeah. breaking of, breaking things down and being improvisational and and you know, things breaking apart and coming back together and. You know, his free jazz record was a, a huge thing, you know. Um, did you ever listen to any jazz? Or?
1: A bit, yeah. Yeah? A bit. No,
0: no, I, I feel like your No, work, I do love jazz. It's, I love it. Your work feels kind of jazzy in its most expressive, you know, form of it.
1: Um, no, ja- I do listen to it and I, I love it. I, I love it. Um, I just don't go to jazz clubs enough.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not. To, I feel like it's different now. I feel like today's jazz is now sort of electronic. It's like a different, you know, form of music. The avant-garde now is is being tapped into. I think with elements of technology.
1: You know, when I was in New Orleans and I saw the um, I saw the uh, what do you call those lines? The um, after the funerals, the um, pr- front li- second lines, mm-hmm. second lines. Oh yeah. I really put my work together with jazz for the first time. Yeah. You know, I thought of big bands, I thought of parades. Mm-hmm. I, um, and I was, the last show I did, I was, I was, that was in my head. Mm-hmm. That idea of the way you just improvise and make it really big yeah. <laughs> for a minute and then take it down again.
0: And where was that?
1: Um, that was Belfast yeah. at the back,
0: yeah. So, and how long did it take you to install that? Six days. Six days. And you brought all the material, right? It was all in your suitcase.
1: No, no, not that not that time. It was all shipped. <laughs> it was all in your backpack? And a, a crowd of it <laughs> broke. A lot of it broke. So, um, which was an unbelievable thing to open a crate and everything is broken. But then I realized that I actually loved that. I just... It was your tornado. It was my tornado. Yeah. The thing was in smithereens and I just asked for a bandsaw mm-hmm. and asked for some glue and asked for some dowels and I went at it and it yeah. was better. It was the tornado.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you felt it gave you, I mean, I guess when you're improvising in your work, outside circumstances can fuel that. You know, right. They can either hinder it or fuel it, but it seems like for you it would fuel it.
1: Um, I think a few, you know, I, I, I often wondered about how I thrived on being uncomfortable. You know, I, I thrive on... Sleeping on a couch or being mm-hmm. displaced or kind of you know just just uh, working myself into a corner of a room and I think it's it's just how I grew up that I I replicate.
0: It's comfort, right? It's isn't comfort that what for we me. We do? Like it's we
1: we always rented our beds. It was it was um, if a tourist came, we were never out of bed because you just rent your bed mm-hmm. and you sleep anywhere. And I think I'm the same in the studio. I, that kind of discomfort. I remember reading Joyce when I was a young student and. I loved the uncomfortableness. And I loved the way everything moved. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's my work, you know.
0: What would happen if someone gave you the keys to your brand new Tribeca full full floor loft? I'd have a trash <laughs> 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 Okay.
1: I would give it. myself a reference. You would
0: take it, but you would, you would trash oh, it. Oh, I'd <laughs> have that place work in order in no time. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that. All right, well, one more, one more question for you. I would like for you to recommend to people one artist, one musician, and one poet. If you could distill it down to one each. Okay.
1: Artist, yeah. Caroline
0: Chandler. Okay.
1: Poet, Vona Grork.
0: How do you spell that? <laughs> Vona,
1: V-O-N-A. G R O A K E. Okay. Oh
0: and one what? What was your last one? One poet, one artist, and one musician. Shane McGowan. Shane McGowan, it is. All right. Thank you for taking the time to talk. It was great to chat with you. Thanks, Brian. All right, thank you.